theyeshiva.net. Page Yud Beis, the middle of the second paragraph. Uh, we've been learning about two preparations that are necessary and vital in order to absorb a new awareness. It's called two hafshatas. Two hafshatas means two two stages in the process of stripping oneself from the old to absorb the new. And he says, to understand them, you always have to look at the absence, what's missing when they don't have them. So the first idea was that a person can really uh, empty his mind or heart from previous thoughts, paradigms, ideas, and carve out an empty vessel which is not empty in the sense that it's devoid of everything, but it's open. It's really open, not blocked, and in, uh, no interference of the static of the previous, the previous noises. Now, this exercise in and of itself is extremely potent, powerful, because it's the static which interferes so much to the new. And static doesn't here necessarily mean that it feels like static. Static is just that, you know, instinctively, this is how I approach things. This is how I deal with things. And sometimes a person, by the way, can live their whole life without ever noticing it. It's just the way it is. Like, we don't even think we have control over it. It just happens. Like, what am I supposed to do? Not be me? But really, it's not you. It's not me. It's just I learned that method to survive. And uh, fortunate is the person who can identify these things. Because that's... The machine, yeah. We all try to survive. We all try to survive, yeah. And, you know, the animal in us wants to survive. The puppy wants to survive with a little elephant or the little rat or the little... Whatever your nefesh Bahamas looks like. Sometimes it's a little elephant, a little rat, a little cheetah, a little lioness. You know, some of them are cute also. Some puppies are very cute. It's not necessarily always a... Some of them are monsters. I wouldn't get in their way. You know, you have to know what Vasara Bahame handled. Huh? Yeah. So uh, some, some are chimpanzees, gorillas. Some are ants, little ants, also trying to survive. And very sophisticated, by the way. Animals are uh, pretty brilliant. I wouldn't call them sophisticated, but brilliant. Genetically brilliant. So it's uh, it just becomes, this is how I operate. This is my mechanism. And I don't even know that I have control. Of course, this is how I respond. And But here we're teaching that, no, a lot of this is really when you learn who you are, there are choices we make. And a person can also really open himself or herself up for newness, but there's one condition, I have to be a clay reka, an empty vessel. And an empty vessel means that I open myself up to a new flow of energy, a new flow of water. Now, this doesn't mean that a person becomes an empty vessel, like we say, a pustakeli, which means there's nothing inside. That's in the negative sense. You know, you're a pustakeli, just an empty person. Here, it's an, an emptiness, which means an openness to infinity. So it's a completely different type of uh, reikon. There's reikon that you just empty, you know. In, in Yiddish, it's a pustun vist. It's just empty, devoid of everything. 
Here, it's the emptiness in the most positive sense that I uh, don't allow any static on any level, physical, psychological, emotional, even spiritual or intellectual, to be able to obstruct that flow. So that's number one. But he said there's also number two. Number two is the language of uh, of Kabbalah, that he becomes an akuda tachas hayesoid, which means, as he puts it here, that he becomes close. He brings himself very close to the mentor to hear the words. This is in the positive. Not emptying yourself out, but after that is now the attentiveness. There is what not and there's what yes. Right? There's going away from the old, but now there is tuning into the new, whereas the expression of the Gemara, which I looked as a Maseches Chagig in the beginning of Gimel, I say, tune in, make your ear like a, uh, a receptor, a receiver, to absorb. To understand it, he says, let's look at the ab- absence. The absence of number one is that there may be a person who listens and listens to everything and even listens to words or letters or paragraphs that he may not comprehend and understand. But he's not really ready to go away from the old. So everything that he or she comprehends will always be according to my ancient paradigms. What we spoke yesterday, there's learning Torah like an older person, and learning Torah as a child, and no difference about your age. It's just an entire approach of how clean the slate is, how really, really clean the slate is. That's number one. Now we come, and that when that's missing, it becomes very obvious. The person will grasp, the person will be enriched, the person will, be comp- will comprehend, but always in a very limited way, based on how much I'm ready, based on my old filing cabinets, and what fits in goes, whatever doesn't fit in, I don't even relate to, and even that which, uh, and even that which I do relate to is on my terms. There is something else now. We come now to stage two. Uh, we're holding the line Hakoidmim. It's Mamash, the middle of the page, Yud Beis. The line is Hakoidmim, middle of the second paragraph of the page. On the other hand, you may have a student who is Mafshet himself very much, which means he does strip himself from the old, what he calls the old Yediyos, the old Haskalos, the old paradigms. Umaniach, he puts away, aside. Umasalak Yediyos of Hakoidmim and puts away his previous ideas, his previous knowledge, and that he could really, really open himself up, aval, but he doesn't have the second discipline. He may have humility, in the sense that he's really very open. Like a child, many ways, has it. A child, the reason they remember so much, people remember what happened, what, you know, sometimes you hear from your child something you said three years later. Like, how do you remember that? Because children actually remember, they remember, uh, they don't even know how much they remember. Because it's really a very clean slate, right? Like the Mishnah says, Dioik suva al it's, it's fresh paper. Like it says in Prekiovis, we spoke about yesterday, Elisha ben says, that's what a child is, the brain is so fertile, so ready to absorb. So a person may have that. Some people, they're just, just a certain openness. But the attentiveness lacks. What lacks is, what's lacking now is the second step. And that is, The effort to really be attentive, to become a conduit for everything that he won't do. He'll receive things that come in easy. You know what he understands. 
Vadvarim Things that come out of the mouth of his Rebbe, his master, and he doesn't have any understanding. He will not absorb them. In other words, he may have the ability to be completely open. I'm not interfering with my static, with my paradigms. I'm a receptacle. But the discipline, the attentiveness, the commitment, the positive dedication to really be uh, completely attuned to every word, to every nuance, whether I understand it or I don't understand it. Because if it's only what I can understand, meaning that which goes in right now into this open vessel, it's also going to be limited. I may be learning very new things, but it's limited to that which doesn't require, again, a different type of mysterious nefesh, a different type of commitment, which is really, really challenging myself to things that don't come easy, things that are completely new, things that right now just fly right over my head, and from all practical purposes, it seems to me like a waste of time, it's boring, it's irrelevant, it's inconsequential, it's incomprehensible. This too will not allow a student to really transform himself. So both components, when they're lacking, each one has its own uniqueness. One is the ability to be able to go away to the old, of the old, you know, lech lecha me'artzecha me'meladetcha me'beis avicha, so to speak. You know, shichichi amech obeis avich, as the expression in Tehillim. And then there is tuning in, really tuning in, asay aznacha kafrecheses, where my ears become truly receptacle of the new. And one without the other will be missing something very substantial. The second uh, sorrow of not being willing to listen and decollate things that he simply has no interest or understanding of could really come from two different dysfunctions. Either he doesn't have confidence in the Rebbe, that he's going to be able to really make it understand, present something appealing and understandable, or he doesn't have confidence in himself that he'll be able to reach it. Right. He doesn't speak about which one. Right. Right. That's what I thought also. That sounded to me more like no, well listen, if you're talking about a teacher who has proven himself to say nothing, then, uh, you know, <laughs> we're not talking about that. Like, this is, this is all, this, this is all predicated on a foundation of deep trust. You know, we share that. Without that, then the whole process is, uh, becomes a mockery and an exercise in, uh, uh, Futility and uh, even masochism, uh, self-torture. It happens. These things happen. In other words, the, te- the teacher is delusional. The student is delusional. The student would like to have such a teacher. The teacher would have liked to have been. But it's like it's not a real, it's not an authentic thing. There has to be, you know, what to deliver. There's, there's, there's really something being delivered, both in terms of the subject and in terms of the person. And then the student can... <laughs> challenge himself, but you want to challenge yourself. If you empty your vessel for somebody to fill it with even worse trash, at some point you stop emptying your vessel. In other words, the 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 emptiness, the openness must be rewarded with something that's worth it. Because if not, it becomes extremely discouraging and even worse. As I told you, when a mashpia doesn't have a makabal, it's painful. But when a makabal doesn't have a mashpia, it's more than painful. It's very painful. Right. 
That's exactly the point. But the point is not to shut down. You're right. Sometimes t- things take time. A lot. They always take time. A lot of time. Yeah, you have to hear it again and again and again, and then one day, one moment, boom, something up, a little light shines in. That's true. But that's what attentiveness means. Attentiveness means I'm not. I'm not running away. I stick. I stay here. No, no, tuning in, tuning in. Ain't a mekabel. He's ready to be mekabel. He's ready to be open to it. He may not grasp it. This is understood by anybody with experience. <laughs> anybody who is a bal nisayin, meaning he has nisayin, he has experience, understands this. And the explanation in both of the elements. Number one and number two is very lengthy. But this is the point, and whoever has experience with this understands both of these elements very well. But what's the summation of this whole uh, long, lengthy explanation, which he's not getting into? The summation is this. It's these preparations in the student, which This is what triggers most, what arouses most the tainugapnimi, the innermost delight and pleasure in the mentor to give and to give everything. Remember, we're dealing here with a new insight that is completely from a different realm that the mashpia went into in order to grasp, but the student remains bereft, remains forlorn. He could see on the face of the mentor at some point that there is a new glow, there is nihiru da'anpin, but he himself doesn't grasp it. Now comes the stage where we want the, stu- the teacher wants to give it to him, but it needs a hachana, needs a preparation. These are the two preparations from the student, and both of them trigger, they arouse the deep, deep tainug, the pleasure, the delight in the mentor to give, to communicate, and to give everything. And this is the tainug apnimi. Ki gam hu and now he goes through the same stu- stages. Because in order to really communicate, he also has to go through these two stages. In addition to him being a student, being a real teacher, he goes through this. Number one, He suspends himself and puts himself aside for the sake of the recipient, for the sake of the student. That's number one. Similar to the preparation, number one of the Makabal, Hanachas Atzmusay, the teacher also does anachasat Say Why? Because remember, there's still going to be have to be a long tzimtzum, a big tzimtzum, to be able to get from the yud to the hay to the vav and the hay that we spoke before about the klal and the prat, the klal and the prat. In order to, for him to grasp it, now he has to go through a whole process in order to bring it down. And for this, he must really suspend himself for the sake of the student. And here we right away, we see it's not a process that happens in the student alone. The same exact process must be reciprocated by the teacher. If he's not ready to suspend himself, so then something is off here. What's the greatest tainug? What triggers that deepest desire to give on that level? When the student completely puts aside everything and opens himself up to this, so the teacher can't refuse it. It's, it's almost impossible to refuse. Because watching that openness, that readiness, that empty vessel, it's impossible for the mashpia to refuse that. 
And now what he does, exactly the same thing. He forgets himself. He renounces himself for the sake of the student, just like the student renounced himself for the sake of the truth that comes from the teacher. So that process triggers a similar process from the givers, like back to Kamayim HaPonim Laponim, Kain Lev HaAdam Adam. The student renounced all of his old paradigms in order to receive the new. What that does is, in the Mashpia, it brings out, it brings forth a deep tainug, a tainug apnimi, very deep delight and a very deep pleasure to do what? To do exactly the same thing. To renounce his own identity and his own focus on his own growth to be able to tune into the world of the student. Now comes step two. There is going away from himself, renouncing his own, yeah, we call it his own steiging, so to speak. There's a beautiful word from the Ponem Yofis. The Ponem Yofis was a colleague of the Balatanya. His name was, um, he's known as the Baal Hafla. Hafla, Sarav Pinchas Levi Ish Horowitz. He was one of the Goinim of his generation. He was the Rav of Frankfurt, Frankfurt in Germany. And Avbezdin, he was one of the Goinim of the generation. He wrote a sefer called Hafla on Meseches Ksuvas and Hamakna Meseches Kedushin, which are still uh, very yeshivish as far they're learned in all the yeshivas. He also wrote a sefer on Chumash called Ponim Yafas. He was a student of the Magad of Mizrich. And uh, so he has a sefer Ponim Yafas. He says, that, I think he writes it in the introduction, that the Gemara says in Meseches Chagiga, on the Pasuk Malachi says, if your teacher is like an angel, you should learn Torah from him. If he's not like an angel, you shouldn't learn Torah from him. <laughs> so what does this mean? <laughs> so anybody's looking for Malach and we're going to find the Malach. What does it mean? So the Pandem Yafas gives a fascinating explanation. He says the difference between a Malach and a Neshama, it says a Malach is called an Oymed. He stands in one place. A neshama is called a mahalach. He's always moving. Pasuk says in Scharyev, I'm going to give you the ability to move between all those who stand. Because a malach more or less has his own orbit. You know, it's like the, the moon. The moon orbits. It's, it's, it's a complicated orbit, but it's predictable. It orbits. A malach spiritually, it has its orbit. It's, you know, spiritually, genetically coded to move this way, it grows, it grows, but the growth is always incremental and relative to yesterday. On a Shama, soul down here in this world, because of the uniqueness of our world, there is quantum leaps, transformation, the ability to really move away from the old, that's a, a soul, not an angel. So he says, Im harav If the Rav is like a Malach, then you should learn from him. Why? He says, a lot of teachers, <laughs> they... They want to teach. They want to express themselves. So if you already learned something and you know it well, you don't want to teach that again because you want to express. You want to. You want to. You want to feel engaged. So therefore, they have to grow and grow and grow and grow, and they have to give a sheer that is is unique and novel for the teacher that he should feel accomplished. What's the problem? The problem is that the student is not holding there. So therefore, he's not really teaching him. He's teaching himself. At the end, he feels good that he presented such a th- such a great idea, but it doesn't go into anybody. It's not suitable to the keli of the student. He says, "Make sure your rav is like a malach. He's an oimed. <laughs> he 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 renounces the need to be a mahalach in order to be an oimed. Sometimes you have you can have in a yeshiva. 
you can have a Rosh Hashiva, and he has brilliant, brilliant ideas, and he needs a platform. So it happens to be a room full of students. So they become the carbonus for uh, for his brilliance. Now, it may be Taka brilliant, but a teacher, he's not. He's not a teacher. Why? Because they completely don't need that. Not shayach to them. They're going to go away with nothing. They're not ready for it. So rather, you have to be an oimid. An oimid, that's the idea. He, he puts himself aside completely for the sake of the makabal. But then there's step two. That's only going away from the old. Now there's going stage two. The stage two in the student becomes stage two in the teacher. He gets close to the student. And he must measure him. He must estimate him. If you remember the letter Vav and the letter He, right? He has to measure him generally and measure him specifically in a differentiated way. Vis-a-vis the idea that he wants to share. You have to know your student and you have to know just like with yourself. You always have to have the big picture. And then you have to be able to differentiate. Azra vayisapra. We learned before from Eev. Chachma bina. There's the big picture and there is the details. If you don't have the big picture, if you don't know really what you want to convey, you're missing something. But if you only have the big picture, you don't have the pratim, the structure, it's also not going to work. Sometimes people prepare, they have the big picture, they see the forest, but they don't have the pratim, right? So therefore, ultimately, it can't really be communicated effectively. On the other hand, sometimes people have all the details, but there's no big picture. There's no forest, there's only one tree, another tree, another tree. But the same thing has to happen vis-a-vis the student. I have to understand b'chlal and b'frat. I have to measure him from a place of klal and also measure him from a place of prat. It's not mamish like the recipient in that sense, but it is because he really has to completely suspend his way of thinking about it and tune in to how he could communicate it to the student. From experience and really from, from tuning into the student's world. Right, he's, he's not forgetting now the token of his shear. Well, <laughs> yeah. How he should relate to the piece, putting aside all his previous preconceived notions and how he can communicate. He has to put aside all his preconceived notions of how he could communicate and also put aside the natural urge of uh, continuing to relate to the idea from his perspective. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and like always, these are mashalim, but they relate to so many different situations. You want to communicate to your child, you want to communicate to your spouse, you want to communicate even to an employee or a friend, right? So sometimes we're tempted just to say what's on our minds. The person may be completely not ready to hear these words. They may not understand them, they may misconstrue them. They may misinterpret them. 
So it's really, it really requires a very big symptom to be able to tune in to who you are, where you are, and how I can touch you today, rather than just express myself and say, oh, I expressed myself. <laughs> I expressed myself to myself, not to anybody else. And when the student finally receives this, there is now a whole new tainug, a whole new delight, wondrous and far greater than what he received earlier, even in the beginning. Before anything happened, there was no drama, there was no departure, there was no ascent, there was no istalkas amoichen. But now what he's receiving is something so powerful, so new that even for the mentor, it's a complete revolution. So for sure for the student. So this process allows him to really experience a tainug and a relationship on a completely different level, which he could have not anticipated before, and he could have never experienced if this whole entire process would have not happened. He would have remained in the previous level of awareness, which was nice and lovely, perhaps, and there was a lot of tainug. But it's only this, istalkos ha which comes as a result of new moichen being developed, which results in the absence, which results in the Talmud feeling that very powerful moment of loss, which results in the fact that the teacher, which comes from the fact that the teacher had to ascend in order to experience the new, as explained at length on all three levels, which continues in a sense of solace and comfort that something good is happening, a new idea emerged, a new idea is fermenting and becoming ripe, which inspires and creates a yearning in the student for the new on both levels of hafshata that we explained, which triggers the tainug in the mashpia, which ultimately allows a whole new level of communication, and that relationship doesn't only go back to where it was, but now there is ultimately a new revelation that was unprecedented in the entire communication beforehand. From here we come back all the way to our discussion what happened between Moshe and Hashem by the first exile of the Jewish people. Moshe, who understands that everything works with Midas Hadin. That's how the system works. Midas Hadin. Midas Hadin means quit per quo, you do, and there are consequences. And he learned it from Sefer Bereshus. Bereshus operates Midas Hadin. Bereshus bara elekim. What did you do to deserve this? What did you do to trigger this consequence? How bad have you been? Who did you murder? Who did you destroy? Who, when did you become corrupt? When did you kill your grandmother? Let's find out. So we could see the reason for the consequence. Shmois doesn't have that. The Jews are in exile with no, no, uh, there's no context, no sins. That was the struggle that we spoke about. And he wanted to understand Shairish Adin and Shura Sadin. Shairish Adin means what? The root for the din. Why? 
Shurasadin means the system. System is the longer you are serving your punishment, the easier it becomes. At the end, it's easy. At the end, you're in a halfway house. That should have been the system in Golis also. It's already at the end. It should become the easiest. Not the exact opposite happens. Something is off. Something is strange. On his first question, and then he continues the other question, that when I came to Pari, it became worse, not better. Redemption starts, it becomes worse. She says, Now, since now the godly energy in the world has been transformed to the point that the divine energy known as the ten utterances which sustain creation are completely not manifest and revealed to the point to the point that Parai and his henchmen can completely deny the reality of godliness. For the first time, Parai says, Al Yishu Sheker. All Moshe is doing is uttering lies. What was Moshe saying? There's a God who wants us redeemed. That ability to be able to deny a lakus completely. On one level, it's the worst moment of Golos. It's the worst. Exactly. This is the moment the Rebbe is gone. You look, where is he? Where is my, I mean, he's gone. He's not here. Come, come back. I'm not here. I don't know you. I don't care about you. There's complete detachment from an external perception. This is the moment that the Shia got completely interrupted. There's not even an external communication. There's not even a gesture. The relationship seems completely dead. And there's no interest anymore. There's no passion. There's no presence. It's like, where is God? Look, search. And Parai emerges, and Parai now says, Al Yishu Bedivre Sheker, it's lies. As he said, the old Parai told Yosef, We'll see that later. But here there's a complete denial of, of, of godliness. So on one level, Moshe is so disturbed. You send me for redemption only to make a mockery. You don't want to redeem, don't redeem. You say, now we're going, I, I've heard the pain, go, go, go. I go, and what happens? Gets worse. And the Jews are looking at me and saying, what are you doing? At least we survived as slaves, tortured but survived. And what you're doing is just causing the complete murder and annihilation. So Moshe comes to Hashem and says, May az basi al pare samecha. It gets worse. Parai, Parai said that the Jews are dreaming of redemption because they're not working hard enough. They're too lazy. Nirpim atim nirpim. You're lazy, good for nothings. They're only working 18 hours a day in the field. That's too little. When you're lazy, you find God as an excuse. He says, put more, increase the burden of labor on them. Now they have to collect the straw on their own. And yet, do the same quota, prepare and complete the same quota of bricks every day, and they're beaten and they're hit. And he says, and if they work hard enough, they won't uh, they won't turn to falsehoods, to false hopes. 
right? Religion is the opium of the Egyptian Jews. They need, they have all this, you know, they're leaning on, on, on straw. <laughs> no, the Jews are not being punished. That's his point. Moshe looks at this moment and he says, you started the process of redemption and it went backwards. It went backwards. What are you doing? One question is, why there's Gullus and the whole system of Gullus? Another question is, and why when you're already finishing the Gullus, it gets worse? So he says, this is the moment, this is the moment, listen to these words, that's the real shear. The Asarim Mamaris is good stuff. Asarim Mamaris is all science, all physics, all cosmology, all astronomy, all geology. And that's just the first few steps. Huh? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. All biology. All the, all, everything in this world. Asarim Mamaris Nivra Elam. And after five and a half thousand years, we still have not scratched the surface of what is contained in a single cell. What is contained in a single atom. In one, one atom. I'm not talking about one atom. What is contained. That's all Asarim Amoris. Asarim Amoris Nivra Oilam. That's a shear. The world is a shear. And it's a, it's, it's a pretty deep shear. <laughs> if you'll ask me, it's a pretty deep shear. Vaharaya, 6,000 years later, humans have researched, so we know, we know a lot of stuff. And we built bridges, and we built airplanes, and we built internet, and we built computers, and we landed on the moon 50 years ago, and we split the atom, right? But it's not Asaris Adibris. There's Asarim Amaris, Asaris Adibris. Asarim Amaris are the 10 sayings that created the world. Asaris Adibris is what happens at Sinai, on Noichi Hashem so Asarim Amaris is the first shear. So he says the moment Asarim Amaris are concealed completely. What's Asarim Amaris? Asarim Amaris is the presence of the Rebbeinu Shalom in the world. That there is an author, there's somebody who's speaking it into existence. The Mishnah says in Perkeyavas, Kol ha When you say something in the name of the one who said it, you bring redemption to the world. Right? What is the meaning of this? So if I quote somebody, I bring redemption to the world. And if I don't quote you, I plagiarize. <laughs> That's it. What's the meaning of this? So there's different interpretations. One interpretation is, I heard this from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, A person who says everything, you identify the one who's saying it into existence. Who Omar Vayehi, Bidvar Hashem Shemayim Nasu. Your Oimer Dover, you look at everything and you trace it back. What's the difference of plagiarism or not? Plagiarism means I steal your material and it becomes mine suddenly, yeah? And I print a book with my name and it's half is stolen from you. What's Oimer Dover B'Shem right? I trace it back to the one who said it. Everything in the world, every Dover, there's an Oymre, there's somebody who's saying it, who's bringing it into existence. 
when you identify and everything you say in the name of the one who brings it into existence, may vi You redeem the world. Oilam comes from the word halam. You emancipate the world from a state of concealment. So you take a cup of coffee, a cup of water, and you say, Hashem Nia Everything came into existence through his word. That's a oimadava And what happens? The whole world is redeemed. This is the process of Asarim Amoris. Suddenly there's a state where Asarim Amoris are completely concealed. The shear is stopped. There's no communication. There's no revelation. The student is holding on to something. And Pari says, there's nothing. I don't know God. I'm not interested. And it becomes even worse. He calls it a lie. So he says, what's Pshat? This means the new level of awareness. The higher sheer already emerged in the world. This is what we called Remember, when does the first sheer go dead? When? When? When there's a when, when the new light was born. Before the new light was born, everything looks beautiful. A new light was born, a higher level of moichen. And what happens? There's his stalkus, he goes up. Vizelecha ice, right. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Zelecha ice kyanoichi, yeah. Yeah, beautiful diuk. This is the ice. Now, this doesn't mean that it's not painful. Don't confuse the two. <laughs> this doesn't mean it's not painful. It's painful. Because there's a loss. There's a real loss here. But it means it's painful, but it's not hopeless. It's not because you're living in a world where you're just thrown to the dumps, where you're left hanging dry. It may feel that way. This is where trust comes in, right? You have to know who your teacher is. <laughs> if you can really suspect that one day he's in a bad mood, <laughs> that's what he felt like. In Midas Hadin, he's right. In Judaism, as Midas Hadin, I did right, I get reward. I did bad, I get punishment. It's a very black and white system. And we know that there are still a lot of, um, there are still, you know, many of our holy brothers and sisters who only know about that system of Judaism. It's very black and white. You know, something happened. What did you do bad? You know, if things are going good, oh my God, what's going to happen next week? It's, it's a very clear system. Midas Hadin. You do good, good, bad, bad. And it's very clear. Somebody is suffering. Let's find out what he sinned. Why is sin? Huh? yeah. The Ramam and Hilchas Tainius, not to say Mikra Nikra. Yeah. Like the Gemara and Baba In Brachas, there's a whole argument. Is there something called Yisurim Shalava? Is it always preceded by sin? It's a huge, huge argument. And ultimately, it's not resolved. <laughs> of course, it's not resolved. But when you look at the Sefer Eov, right, you see a whole other dimension over there. Eov says, I'm innocent. His friends say, it's impossible, you're a criminal. 
And they're arguing for chapters. He says, I'm innocent, I'll take God to court. At the end, you would think God will side with the friends. They were the ones who said, you're the bad guy, Hashem is good, just confess your sins. And Eve said, I did nothing wrong. At the end, Hashem says, his friends need atonement. His friends need atonement. It's, it's a very sensitive issue. So what is the Rebbeinu Shalom telling Moshe Rabbeinu here? Ooh, the Asarim Amoris are concealed. There's no trace of them in the world. This shear is interrupted. Good things are happening. That means the Asaris Hadibris were born. The new identity, the new reality of Asaris Hadibris emerged. And because they emerged, that's what caused the histalkos of the old Moichim. The departure, the ascent, the interruption, which for the student, the lifeline just got cut. Which in reality translates into the intensity of Golos Mitzrayim. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. V'zarech Hashemesh Abah Hashemesh. The sun sets for a new sun to emerge. Dar Haylech And that's the paradox of Tishabov. That's what I explained that we spoke about Friday. That when you look at Tishabov, you see this paradox in Judaism that is a very, very strange paradox. It's the worst of times and it's the best of times. So it's very hard to put your hand around it. So people give all types of explanations. You'll hear all these types of shiurim, you know. And they're like, you know, once God has finished punishing, good things will happen. Whatever, all these types of explanations doesn't hit the core. It's not the Nakuda. Because it's too paradoxical. The destruction happens, Mashiach is born. Why should Mashiach should be born the next day? <laughs> This is about our great national tragedy, Tishabov. In the great personal tragedies that befall a person, is this, are we to understand that this message is true in everyone's personal tragedy? After they deal with the Chitsonis, we deal with Chitsonis of Tishabov before we think about the Pneumius of Tishabov. So after someone deals with the Avelis and the pain, that they're supposed to potentially emerge an awareness that in this but, you know, there's also Zarah Hashemesh, that there are new Mochim that have somehow... Is this a lesson applicable to one's daily life? Reb Shloyma says, absolutely. Reb Shloyma says, absolutely. And Listen, it's it's very sensitive. Yes. It's not something that you, you know, just preach lightheadedly. Oh, it's great stuff, man. It's like looking at this student, right? The shear is obviously a model. It's a metaphor. You know, most of us don't take shiurim so seriously that, uh, so he stopped talking. Great. So recess is earlier, you know, most cases, you know, the Rebbe spaced out. Wonderful. You know, let's light the firebombs and go for lunch. Let's go to the gym, right? It would actually be a very exciting moment if the teacher gets lost in his new ideas. I just want to bring that out. Present company, of course, excluded. But it's a very serious marshal because we're talking about a relationship that is very, very deep. 
Well, that's what a mushal is. It seems, no, what I'm saying, it seems to be this place, because the Pahidans and Israelis were not appearing in the Pahidans. They were just the exact opposite. They were so toxic that their belief system in their levy, in Moshal, in God, it seems to me it was, was, was truncated to the point where you had it on one side from the perspective of the apple of the teacher, but not on the other side from the Kabbalah. So how is that fair? Mm. No, that's not a fair analogy, right? But, but you... Uh, because the truth is, it seemed that way also. But, you know, Moshe said, They're not going to believe me. They're not interested. And he became a leper because of it. He became, he became a Mitzayra. And the Gemara says, Hashem said in Shabbos Tavdik Zayin, You don't know them. You have to trust them. And you're speaking gossip about them, obviously relative to the level of Moshe. Because Moshe was looking at tremendous toxicity. And they were in, the, in a very difficult place. And also... In Parshas Vashanon, the term that he uses for Egypt is Kur Habarzal. You know what Kur Habarzal is? Kur Habarzal is the, the iron furnace, there's the word for it. Huh? The crucible. The crucible, very good. Where you refine the barzal. It's very hot. Which means that the Jewish, there's a beautiful Torah from Reb Shimshon Astrapolar on this. It's a mighty dikataira. Say <laughs> good. Say good. And imagine if I would have to invent that toy, I would really have to go. I'm just trying to remember what I read. <laughs> but if I would have to invent that toy, I would have to take a go. <laughs> I have to recall the details. The point is that the, you know, sometimes we become ready for different things in life through two ways. One consciously, like the student you're talking about. And sometimes there's even a deeper way. And that is experiences of life. Life's experiences. And that sometimes prepares people in a much deeper way. You know? It's the premise that a person has to be an empty vessel. You have to suspend your judgment. You have to put your experience aside. So are you having to, are you to have it both ways? Right, but I think we have all seen people, and maybe ourselves even, that certain life's experience just uh, bring you to a place where you become an open vessel. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, he calls it a crucible. In a crucible, the iron is just, it loses its whole... Uh... No, but there's a lack of contribution Right, I understood you. You know, sometimes you meet people and they live, uh, I don't mean to talk about addiction again, but uh, <laughs> it's not addiction, it'll be marriage, but we'll stick to addiction for now. You have a person, they're wrapped in so many lies. I think Winston Churchill once said about the Soviet Union, he said about the Soviet Union, it's a, uh, it's an enigma wrapped in a riddle, right? Encompassed by a puzzle that is all a lie or something. It was a great definition of the Soviet Union. You know, lie after lie after lie after lie, which is also a lie. 
The lies are also lies. <laughs> it's so far from truth, right? Everything there was a lie. There was like not one statement that was ever true. Stalin is sick. Stalin died. I mean, the whole thing from beginning, because the whole thing was a lie. It, it thrived on lies, which is why it destroyed itself at some point. So you have people like that. You have people, you know, who, who are just that way. The lies are so deep, it's not even conscious anymore. That's really what happens with addiction. The, the lie, everything is a lie, and more lies. You lie to yourself, to your wife. You just lie to everybody. And uh, the pain of that is just, uh, it's unbearable, which is why you have to lie so much. And there's no way of talking to the person. There's no way of communicating to the person, because they're just lying. They can't even look at you. There's nobody here. There's nobody present. You know, that's the difference between somebody who's present and you can have a conversation and somebody who's not present. And sometimes the only tikkun is, the only tikkun is, and it's very painful, when they lose everything. They mamish lose everything. Now, sometimes they destroy everything and there's nothing left to lose because they're dead. But sometimes they lose everything. I, I, I once, uh, a fellow once came to see me. And... Uh, and he shared with me the following. He grew up in, uh, he grew up in Lakewood. Very nice family, a good family. Eleven children. Uh, all of them are learning and, you know, they're supported by a rich grandfather or something. And uh, he's married himself with a bunch of kids and he was in Kailo for many, many years. And he fell prey to addiction, gambling primarily. And this went on for a long time, and he was hiding it and lost a lot of money and lost the money that was given to him. He said, what brings you here? And he said that uh, he was living a complete life of addiction and lies to everybody. And he said a few months ago, he came to see me, uh, it was uh, spring or beginning of summer. He said a few months ago, he was sitting in Atlantic City in the casino gambling away the last pennies he had, drunk. And there's no clocks in the casinos, you know that? Because they don't want you to know time. They just want you to be there forever. And he said, somebody walked over to him and said, you know what time it is? He said, no. The guy said, it's six o'clock. He said, you know what day it is? He says, no. He says, it's Tim Kipper. And he said, I stopped. I said, six o'clock, six o'clock, that's Na'ila. Yom Kippur, 6 o'clock is Ne'ila. And I'm here in Atlantic City. I said, wow, I reached a place in life that Yom Kippur by Ne'ila, I'm gambling and drinking. I realized that I hit rag bottom. So he came, he came for help. Right. So what happens? What happens here is, in a very painful and paradoxical way, that Kur HaBarzal, you know, that ability to look at your face and see the devil woke him up to a whole new level of awareness. But it only came because he had to be shocked, mamisha shock treatment, out of the old. So it happens on so many different levels that the Kurha Barzil, the crucible, where the person is carved out, becomes empty, not necessarily because of his work, but because of, in many ways, it may be the most beneficial moment in life when he has to face the truth 
and suddenly say goodbye to everything and come clean and confess everything. And that's very, very hard. And the ability to be like a child and say, I know nothing, everything was a lie, everything was a fabrication, everything was made up. To be able to say goodbye to all of that, it challenges him to become a clay raycon. And what looked like the worst moment often turns out to become the beginning of his redemption. So it's true on so many different stages, on so many different levels. So uh, the doctor said, is it true on a personal level? It's all true on a personal level. That's the whole point of this mime. It's not just the national. What's, what's true in the macro is true in the micro. But it's a very sensitive process. And one has to be very careful how it's presented, not only to others, even to yourself. Because this does not take away the pain of the experience of Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is painful and a personal Tisha B'Av is very painful. Nobody says, oh, Tisha B'Av, a new light came into the world. Let's eat. Let's dance. Why are we sitting on the floor saying Eicha? Why are we saying Kindness? Why are we fasting? <laughs> what are you doing? The light of Mashiach was born. That's what it says. But everybody knows that that's uh, trespassing the boundaries of halacha. There was a Jew who ate on Tisha B'Av publicly. It was the same Jew who changed the, the Nusach of the Brachas. Baruch Hashem Matir Isurim. Matir Isurim. You know who this was? Shapsai Tzvi. He ate... He was born on Tisha B'av, by the way, which was part of the problem. Because he was born on Tisha B'av, right? Where did he go wrong? We're learning. There's so many... Mashiach is born on Tisha B'av. Where you go wrong is, right, when somebody, Chas V'Shalom, comes to a shiva house and sits down and looks at the father, looks at the mother, and says, oh, great light was just born. Like, great... You're off. What are you off? And you have sources. We just learned the Hester, the new oil and everything. You're not in touch with the human experience. You're completely detached from the human experience. This student, his lifeline was just cut. He's choking. He said, oh, it's great stuff. <laughs> You're ch- I'm choking. I can't breathe. It's great stuff. But there was just a, a, a the, the line was cut. So you have to be very sensitive to that. I'm very attuned to that. And that's part of the experience. It's part of the realness of it. And yet, we say together with that, together with that, Tisha B'Av is a day of Chorban. We say within that itself, there's something happening. But there's stages of how it develops. So it's very true on a personal level as well. But one has to always have compassion on yourself and on others to the process and the pain of the experience. That's the problem is that stages of redemption don't happen when the person gets stuck. Of course. Of course. Of course. And it's never about judgment or 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 trying to convince or you know pressure somebody. It's it's a very organic process. It's about empowerment. It's about really helping yourself and, and, and your loved ones always understand that when one door closes it's because another one opened. And one window was shut because a different window opened. It's not that all the doors were closed. A different door opened. And I may not be interested in that door. I want this door. (laughs) 
I want this door. I like this door. I like this exit. I like this end. I'm used to it. I like it. It's good for me. This is the place I want to walk. And I never asked for new doors. <laughs> I don't need new relationships. I don't need new awareness. I don't need a new depth. I don't need a new God. I like my old God. My old comfort zone God. So that's, that's a very understandable process. But now one has to make a choice. And the choice is really one of victimhood and deep despondency and just look at life and say, I have been dealt a, uh, what? A bad deal. Bad hand, as they say. A sour face. Or it's time to be able to uh, open myself up to a completely different reality. And on that note, I wish you all a very meaningful, empowering, wholesome, and authentic day. And Mazel Tov Rebavram. Chasana today. I think this is what the Yaakov was asking about the time. Yeah. The phenomenon. When they, when they, when they, when they got to before Kriyas Yamsuk. Yeah, they all had a mis, a mis, a mid the Let's go back to work for them. They had a comfort level for the time, but the same focus. So, I don't know what it might not be. It was a deep, deep. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a comfort zone. They kept saying, leave me alone. Let me go back to the comfort zone. Somewhere different. The truth is, it wasn't such a comfort zone. <laughs> no, but if you look at the I remember the words from the Rebbe, they said four groups of people. Yeah. Nachzal and Mitzrayim. There's a word from the Chidush Harim, you know what he said. On the Chidush Harim or maybe the Svasemes. Yeah, yeah, What's sivlois? The world teaches, I'll take you out from the sevil, from the suffering. The word sivlois is like we have today a word savlanut. Lisbol. What's savlanut? Patience, tolerance. I'm going to take you out from a state in which you tolerate Mitzrayim. The beginning of Geula is when you become intolerant of Mitzrayim. As long as you make peace with abuse, you become like you have a battered woman syndrome. You're not going anywhere. The moment you say, this is sick, this is dysfunction, this is a lie, I'm not living like this another day, now you could be redeemed. So in a way, the Golos has to be real Golos for there to be real Geula. If Golos is chatzi nice, there's no Geula, you make peace with it. That's what happens. What do you need more? What do you need more? Metacha civilis. When you become intolerant, you say, this is sick. This is sick. I hate this. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tolerate this another day. Now you could be redeemed. Now you could be liberated. You, you vomit. You have to vomit. You have to spit out the gullus. Yeah, yeah. They're disgusted by it. If you're not disgusted by something, you'll stick with it. You'll make peace. It's always that way. I met a fine African-American gentleman who tells me, man, I got 17 years clean. I said, wow, that's an accomplishment. How did you do it? 
So I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? We don't want to like wait for hardship so that we can have a revelation. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That's how we will want the gula. We don't, we don't need any more. Yeah, Jews already had enough. Uh, the she, the Shia stopped. God's Shia was interrupted enough. <laughs> We're ready for the real Shia. <laughs> some of the guys in the Shia, some of the guys, some of us have, have hit very low places and had an aliyah from that. But we don't. But now we're doing good, and we want more aliyah from a good place. That's true. That's true. Aliyah from a good place is what we want. Yeah, but in a, sometimes it's hard because you become complacent. You're right. You're right. That's the tachlis. Good, and you come because you're not ready to go away from the world. It's very, it's very difficult. It's so entrenched in, in this, in this life. I can tell you. If you don't know what Gullus is, how could you know what Gul is? If you don't know what Gul is, how can you know what Gullus is? So comfortable in, in some times. Yeah, it's true. Metzesi asks Metacha Sivlois. If it's applicable to today's teachers, if you'll be such a teacher, it'll be applicable to today's teachers. <laughs> I think some of it is applicable to every teacher and every student. You know, what level is always degrees, but the, the, every, relationship. every relationship it's applicable to. I know that. <laughs> it's hard. You need a Talmud who really trusts the Rav and a Rav who's completely committed to the Talmud. It's a, it's a, it's a very rich relationship. Talmud Muvak. You know, he has skin in the game. Reb Hillel's Amayma. It was printed the last few years. It was in the library. The Rebbe once said over the Maimer, Bekitzer, in Osicha. And then they printed it a few years ago. It's an incredible Maimer, huh? This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.